broadcasting from a dark basement office. The FBI's most unwanted presents the X-Files podcast. going to be a little different isn't it aren't we aren't we taking a, a couple steps off the beaten path aren't we taking a couple of steps off the beaten path pal you are right about that what's the name of uh this episode we're covering bud milagro <laughs> chosen by who it. carmelita valdez milagro mccoy <laughs> <laughs> here we are i'm looking forward to this one uh i don't think i'd seen this episode Let's start there. Wow. No shit. Sweet, right? That's fucking great. Yeah. Never seen it, man. And let me tell you right now, this dude, John Hawks, he's a great actor. He's in a lot of shit, this guy. Do you know where I recognize him from? Where? Eastbound and down. No. <laughs> yeah. That's right, dude. You know <laughs> yeah. what's crazy about this guy? He can play so many different roles. Yeah, I did not expect, uh, I mean, I'd seen the episode before and I kind of remembered it. Like I remembered the gist, like I was like, yeah, it's like very Poe kind of, you know, writer, you know, crime thing. And it sort of translates into what's happening. And I remembered it being a good guest spot, but I didn't remember who it was. And then going back and watching it, I was like, wait a second. Mm. That's the, the neighbor dude, the buddy from yeah. down, down the That's the dude. And I'm like, dude, he is great. He's a great actor, that guy. Yeah. He's in he's he's been in a lot of good movies. He's in a movie, and I'm sure the chat will know, where he kind of runs a cult. And I saw it in the theater. It was fucking good, man. Mm. And then he plays like Saul Star in Deadwood. That's what I really remember him from. That's right. But yeah. after seeing him in Deadwood, I, I just felt like I saw him everywhere after that. You know, like this guy is fucking everywhere. Yeah. But he's good. And, uh, you know, here's what I did not expect to do on Christmas, Josh. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> on Christmas, I did not expect to watch a biopic on Matthew Anderson and how he picks up ladies. <laughs> I had no idea that I was going to be watching Maddie, Maddie boy Anderson <laughs> saying things like the Golconda of her thoughts. Dude. So here's what I know. A Golconda means from vampire, the masquerade. <laughs> it means becoming a human again. So clearly I didn't know what that word meant. <laughs> That's and my, I was that like, was my only connection. You, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Now, it's a weird episode. It's going to be a weird episode to talk about, I think, because there's a lot of talky talk, but from our boy uh, Paget, also Philip Paget's a, a bad name. Although Paget I could see is like a, on a book, like Terry Pratchett, right? Mm-hmm. I could see Pratchett on a book, on a on a dust cover as it were. Mm-hmm. But uh I got the I got the script pulled up cuz dude, there's a lot of quotes in here that are that are really I mean, he's okay. slicing in. He's <laughs> slicing in there. I was. I had started to write down a couple, and then I remembered. I'm like, oh, Dean's always on the. He's on the the path with the screenplay right in front of him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm gonna let him handle the bulk it's, of these. It's, it's a there good is, call, man. <laughs> there is some word salad. I'm like, mm-hmm. I could pause this four times and and you know take about three minutes to write down each one of these monologues, or I could just leave it up to Dean. So I, I as I'm watching this episode, I I stopped. And, and I want I want to just celebrate me for just a second, but but in doing so, I'm going to celebrate all of you, and I'm going to celebrate you as well, Josh. And mm. that's this because of this podcast, because of this group, because we're still doing this podcast, because of the insights that I've gleaned from you, having seen a lot of these episodes many times over. While I was watching it, I paused it and I said, "This is 100 
and I don't mean this in a negative or even a positive way, just a factual way, this is 100,000% Chris Carter's writing. Oh, yeah. And I paused it. I went to IMDb, and it said Chris Carter. And it made me very happy because I thought nobody, you know, nobody says, nobody, nobody writes things like, it would be a plain face, an average face, a face people would be prone to trust. She knew this inherently, being naturally trusting herself. You know, that, that kind of writer sauce. Yeah. <laughs> baby, baby, boy. Some self-love. That's some, some writing s- sauce, man. Dripping. Writers that love writing, you know what I mean? Like, that's a Stephen King thing. Like, right, right. Of course, man. Like, like yeah. making writers, characters, and making the writing a thing in and of itself beyond just making good writing. And I think yes. it was, I think he didn't write the initial cut, but he rewrote a big chunk of the episode. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's sprinkled with, with uh, some, a nice Carter rub all For over sure. the outside. You know? and, and I, and I want to present a question uh, to the, to the chat, mostly littered with ladies. And I don't use littered as a pejorative, but I don't want to present this ahead of time. And I, and let's not overthink it. Let's just simply use the Bose, the Rentham Outlet Bose binary scale on Mr. Pradget. And if you're a boy in that chat, that's cool too. Here's all I need to know. Here's all I need to know. Here, you listen carefully. You're going to type a one in the chat if you would bang this guy and a zero if you would not. Don't overthink it and you will not be judged. <laughs> so as those ones and as the ones and the zeros start rolling in, I would like to know. Um, and uh, because it, I think it says a lot about the veracity of the writing and the believability of the episode. So it is, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Coming in hot with a few zeros. No, really? Wow. Man. Judgmental no, fucks. No love for this cat. That's Carmelita. shocking. No love for John Hawks. Carmelita knows what's up. In my mind, he's a one until you tell me how long you've been following me. Until Correct. you tell me. Yes. That, that you know where I live, that you've been following me for untold months, that you moved into this apartment building because you knew, you know, there's no space available in my apartment building, mm-hmm. but my partner, like that was as close as you can get. That's, that's the only time that maybe it drops to a zero. But I have to say, a lot of this episode depends on, on Paget and, and not just Paget, but the actor to not, if he is just 1000% creep show, it, it doesn't work. He's creepy, but he has to have a level of charisma for this to work. And it's in its in unconventional charisma. But there is something brooding writer is brooding is, writer. There's a right. weird earnestness to him. Yes. That's that's see, now that's a John Hawks trait. Yeah. He's very convincing on screen. I think that's one of his good traits as an actor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's cause I think if you have just a total creep show playing this guy, then it's just like a weird stalker dude. And and if you don't have that dynamic with him and Scully, you really lose. Then it's just it's just a, a bad guy, but not you know he's not a he's not scary as a monster. That's so, why it's such an interesting episode. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. honestly, like I do find him, you know, and I love his his dynamic with Scully. There is a couple moments. All right, here's and, what I'm gonna say. Obviously. I, you know, let me just rip this out. It works sure. for me. That all that that whole. I'm just. I'm spitting it out. All right. Continue. <laughs> the, <laughs> I wanted to say that because I because I was on the fence, but so I, you're I don't a want one. to. I I the the dynamic of the writing works for me. Yeah. And put me put me down for a one for most most of most of the episode. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a one too. 
and, and I and I the reason I want to say that is because I was kind of teetering, but this for this to work for this sort of dark obsessive stranger thing to work, you have to kind of feel the attraction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hey, P.S. See that body? Not bad. Oh yeah, he's always been a ripped dude. Yeah, yeah, he's got like fucking six percent body fat. This guy. Yeah, not bad for a writer. Yeah, no, yeah. no shit, right? Yeah, hey, Matt Anderson, take note. <laughs> Gonna creep on women. You know, maybe rip that cardio. You might want to have that body karate to go with it. <laughs> yeah, back it up. <laughs> back it up. Although in Matt's defense, between his first visit and his second, he did drop like 25 LBs. So good for him. Yeah. Keep it going. Don't quit now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think a huge a huge part of this episode, the, the, the heart of it comes down to Paget. I think it's a cool dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of, this is X-Files also taking a gamble. Like this is a show we've talked about before does such a great job in experimental, um, kind of episodes and an episode like this, which really, which really it, it delves and it relies so hard on the writing as to be in your face about, about it Yes, to the point of you don't pull it off right. And it just looks like obnoxious and kind of pretentious and you know, like uh boy, you really try to do a thing here. But you get the right guy playing it, and then you know Scully and Mulder, you know Jillian and Duchovny deliver in the right way, and I think you have something kind of special in this one. Yeah, man, it was. You know what I thought while watching this? I thought this is a very, very unique episode of the X Files that feels almost like it would be in a. I don't want to. I don't want to cheapen it by saying fan fiction. But it almost feels like we're off the beaten path a little bit. And the quality, so let me see what I'm trying to say. The quality of the episode, and I think the way it's shot, combined with the way it's written and performed, I almost feel like the intent of the showrunners, or maybe Chris Carter himself, was for us to almost feel like we were novel adjacent, Mm. right? Like we're almost participating in almost a dreamlike quality of episode of TV here. There's... There's something dreamlike about the way it's shot. It's shot with a very, um, uh, almost a romantic or sexual thrill of the 90s. A lot of like close-ups on hands rubbing and lips parting and and, and eyeballs locking, like that kind of tension. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it has has this way about it that makes us feel like we're almost X-Files adjacent and and we're, we're, we're one foot in this kind of dream realm of this novel without it being like an overt in the mouth of badness kind of thing. And then one foot in X-Files universe and we're straddling this thing. And it's, and I don't know, there's a, there's a feel to this that I really am trying hard to describe to you that I can't quite pin down. And that's kind of what I'm saying is that it has a quality to it to where I was compelled the whole time. And I think that's huge. The whole time I watched this episode, having never seen it before, and that is a fact, I was like, dude, this is, um, this is very compelling to me. And and I don't know if I was just drawn into the seduction combined with the, oh, are they in a novel? And is this a case of unreliable narrator where is what we're seeing out of Scully, what he's imagining is happening with Scully, is what he's writing, is what is dictating Scully's behavior. So it, it also leaves questions unanswered and, and interesting. It's just a very interesting premise that I thought was executed pretty damn well. Sorry really? for my rant. No, dude, I think that's a great rant. And that's... <clears throat> Yeah, that that unreliable narrator thing. You know, we've we've seen that played in the X Files before um, to shock value. We've seen it played for humor. You know, we always uh, we often refer back to uh, Bad Blood. You know, that's my favorite case. I think of the unreliable narrator in X Files um, 
to to humorous effect, right? When we see sure. Mulder and Scully's take on on what happened, and and you see that here, and there are things that you see which are just a part of the writing with with Paget, you know, the voiceover narration happening. But then there's things that he's doing the voiceover that really are happening. And as with most things of the X-Files, the a lot of the the home run hits come when there are undefined questions. And I think there are enough sort of, you know, room around the edges. This isn't, you know, this isn't the most um, mysterious episode. You know, it's not like a, a bender where you go to the end and you're like, huh, I wonder what really happened here. There is some of that. But for the most part, you're like, okay, more or less what you see happen happens. Mm-hmm. But there's enough fuzziness around the edges where you can think about, you know, I think especially most importantly, what Scully does or doesn't do and how she feels or is compelled and what she almost does to to have a believability and to have an interest in, in it. Um, but I like it. Again, a prerequisite for that is the, <laughs> the bang ability of Padgett. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, it comes right back to what you said, dude. You you have to believe that Scully would ever in a million years have an attraction to this pageant guy. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from her selling. It, what a, what an actress this woman is, and boy, is she talented. And you really see it in this because the 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 openings of this episode, you know, outside of him tearing his heart out, burning it, burning the book, and all that shit. But the elevator stuff, when they ride up the elevator together, it's, um, you know, it's funny. There's this quality to her. It's funny. She, she's, a, she's a professional and very strong and independent woman. And she's a human being as well. A human being, a woman, that is. And she's, there's this intrigue. She plays, what, what sells it to me. Let's try it. Let me back up. I apologize. Is, here, is her selling it to us that she is... Cautious, but very intrigued by this man. Reluctantly and intrigued. Reluctantly intrigued. That's even better. That's even better. It's um. It's almost like that. I'm beside myself with what I may. Why? Why? Why is this working on me? It's. It's. It, it's that whole. Uh, it's. It, it. You know, if you want to break it down into supernaturals, it's. It's very much the vampire thing. Like I feel this pull, and I can't quite put a finger on it. Mm-hmm. If based on pure looks. And he's just, you know, his direction, he's probably directed in this to be just creepy enough to give us doubt. And I think hats off to Hawks as well, because he has to convince us that he's not 1000% an utter creep that just makes us go, ew, gross. But at the same time, not completely a heartthrob that makes us go, I'm head over heels for him. Clearly he's going to be the killer. Like John Hawks' performance in this is so good because he gives you a sense of doubt you don't know quite what to think about him, much like Scully doesn't quite know what to think about him. And I think that comes from the great chemistry between Hawks and, and Anderson, like in this in these roles. Yeah. And, yeah. and so much of the episode rests on that, keeping that tension in balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it, but right early on, that first interaction with Scully and Padgett going up in the elevator, you know, and that just, you know, just put yourself in a situation where you're in an enclosed space with one other human being the the constant like look like the staring that is such a uncomfortable human aspect for sure and you know the natural thing is to kind of like look away but then in your periphery you're just like he's still looking at me he's still looking and it's shot mm-hmm. so well and he is very creepy but as they have more interactions 
one of the things I think ends up being compelling to her about him is he has a 100% complete lack of guile. Sure. He, he's creepy, but there is- there He is, has no guile, but he has mystery, right? He has mystery, but 100% earnest. Everything he has is just, he believes everything he says. He doesn't hold back a goddamn thing. To, mm-hmm. to to a fault, you know? I mean, sure, sure, a, yeah. Far, yeah. far, far to a fault. But there's something about that that, you know, especially just in the way that people interact, and especially in the way that, you know, men would interact to an attractive woman. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm sure Scully gets eyes made at a lot of times, get come-ons all the time. But this, this weird this lack of different. like, I'm not spitting lines at you. I'm not, you know... It's just a, she's, nobody's ever talked to her like this. I'm sure. Right. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, it's as if she cast a spell on him, right? Yes. Yep. And, and, you know, bringing it back to where you were talking about his body karate, obviously outside of his rippling abs in that moment in bed, it gives the viewer a sense to get a POV on him without the interference of any other character. And he's just kind of laying there and he's taking some drags on his cigarettes and he's really pensive. His eyes, his brow is furrowed to, to get into the writing bullshit. And he just seems lost in thought and it makes us go, I wonder what he's thinking about, mm. right? Yeah. He, I don't think he's thinking about, I was never like, this guy doesn't strike me as the killing sort, but he might be killing incidentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we haven't even really talked about the whole, the actual the shot of it, you yeah. know? And again, it's, this is complete like writer love. <laughs> like we uh, mentioned, 100%. this is Stephen King, you know, self, um, self sucking. Aggra- aggrandizing as it were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, After the car accident, he might have been able to suck himself. He was all yeah. pretzeled up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Misery would be a little different if it's just a self-sucker kind of situation. Yeah. Kathy Bates, man. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when she puts the dress on. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's fine. Yeah. You jump on a grain every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, um, you know, it's fun when X-Files shifts us outside. Um, we get kind of an outside point of view on Mulder and Scully. So even though that they're interacting here early, early in the episode, they're talking in, uh, in Mulder's apartment about the case, you know, we're, we're listening kind of with our, with our head from Paget's point of view as he's listening through the vent and we know he's a writer. We know we've, we've seen some of this stuff before. So as they're, we're getting, you know, snippets about this case, about what's going on. And, and Mulder of course is, he's onto something psychic surgery, which Dude, what ironically, I guess is kind of what's happening. Yeah, man. Right. I mean, we're like the goddamn Brazilian dude, this Brazilian guy, psychic surgeon. Yeah, man. I like the Brazilian psychic surgeon. Mm. He yeah. voice. That guy, that guy's got a purring voice, dude, for, for one scene. That's that guy, a, that's a panty dropper. That voice smashes it. He smashes it. He's so good. He's a, he's a, he's in a lot of shit. That guy. Yeah. And Hey, not to be a typical white guy, but Hey, you could throw him right into a samurai roll and I'm, I'm fine. I'm in. You think you take, you think you do yeah, it for him? Yeah. He probably has been one. I think so. He's been in a million things, dude. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. I could see him in last samurai. Yeah. Fucking beating the shit out of Brad Pitt with a, you know, big old, I mean, Tom Cruise with a yeah. big old, big old stick. I think he's Puerto Rican too. I don't think he's Brazilian, yeah. well, <clears throat> but he, uh, he's a cool cat. Smooth, he's a cool smooth cat. operator. That guy. Smooth operator. But yeah, so this whole this whole thing where they, they're talking about this case and 
What's really interesting as as we come to find out more is the idea of a writer, and this kind of comes down to like having some interest or awareness or whatever, but passing affiliation with writing. This idea of like how you write, you know, do you do you have beginning and end in point, or the idea of like coming up with characters and kind of writing to them, Um, and that's obviously what we have in Paget. And it's just, man, what a cool take! The idea of this X file unfolding, which may or may not be in a way, is it directed by Paget, or is he just somehow like a conduit for what's happening? And I like it. That will lead us to, you know, that interaction with with the Brazilian psychic surgeon, that one on one. (laughs) But up till then, it's like, you know, what's the where's the chicken and the egg here? Sure. Yeah, I like it. It's a it's it's kind of metaphorical to the X Files in a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, King describes it in his book on writing, where he says sometimes he, in the process of writing, he kind of imagines it like archaeological work, where you are sort of you know, you, you are brushing away something that already exists, so to speak, and it reveals itself to you as much as you reveal it to the world. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's almost like casework. You are sort of uncovering it and it's, you you have these ideas and you're revealing it to the world as it's being revealed to you. It's it's really cool. And obviously that's the kind of person he is, but uh, man, those shots of Scully on the phone, just- oh, Dude, with, that, so with, yes, I love that. That is where- I really get pulled in the episode is that, you know, she finds the, um, what is that? What do you call Milagro. it? A charm, a charm, yeah. a pendant, whatever. Yep. In the office, she's in Mulder's office. She's talking to Mulder on the phone. And then that pageant, that long monologue, which of course, like at first I was like, did you just say Golconda? He definitely said Golconda. <laughs> and then I'm like, all right. But dude, it's it's awesome. The way it they goes, light her, man, is like the get the hair light on her. Yeah. It's soft. It, it's yeah. It's soft. <laughs> it's slow. And yet it's you're like, this is crazy. But then part of you is like, well How interesting. It, is the, it? The, like it yeah, there's something interesting about it. And as we kind of come further along, some of the shit that seems extreme might might be a little closer than than we think. Mm. Uh, earlier in the chat, Danielle C said, this reminds her of Robert De Niro and Juliet Lewis in Cape Fear. Uh, what a great comparison yeah. because he is so deadly and dangerous, uh, Max Cady. And then when he confronts her on the, he's just sitting, he's sitting on the, um, stage smoking a joint when she walks in and she's the only kid there. <laughs> And she's like, oh, I don't know. And like, Juliet Lewis plays that ridiculously well, probably because she was 18 and De Niro was a grown man and she was acting with him. That helps, right? This legend of the silver screen, right? And then yeah. and then this, you can tell she's like, I shouldn't do this, but I'm also a kid that kind of wants to do something I shouldn't do. Like mm-hmm. the the heart and head battle is the the the, the instincts, you know, you, yeah, just that, that, that internal strife. We see it played out in that movie, of course, quite well in that moment in this whole episode. And um, it just, it really, really works for me. Yeah. But um, it, go one, ahead. One thing we, we skipped over a little, um, doesn't bear much mentioning, but that the first murder we see on screen, right, <laughs> with the two, um, was I think Maggie and Kevin. The, sure. It, you watch hey. it and you're like, hey, Maggie. Boy. Guess what, Maggie? Don't go on a date. Maggie, here's the thing. When you say I know what you're thinking, it doesn't make you interesting, original, or even insightful because it's always being thought of. <laughs> let me let me stop you right there, okay? You're talking to a man. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> uh, God, what is this, the 50s? Man. <laughs> they kiss and she's like, there you go again. 
There you go again. There you go again. What is he doing? Is he, is he, is he like flicking her molars with her with his tongue? Like I don't <laughs> clean that up for you. Jesus Christ! Yikes! But it, that that whole scene, like it, it kind of plays like bad writing in a way, right? And bad acting. Yes. And there's a part of me that's like, I maybe I'm giving credit to the episode for it, but I almost want to think maybe it's supposed to feel like that. I like it. You Keep know what going. I mean? Like this is. So we're seeing this play out, and it's kind of jarring, I thought. It is, it is. It takes like, you out of the dreamlike feeling. Yeah, this is fucking silly. These two, the way they're talking and the shit they're saying. Um, and then, you know, very tropey, you know, cloaked hooded murderer comes forward. It's all mm. very like, okay, here we go. Like, here's here's the, the most generic kind of serial killer murder we could picture with the two, you know, to, you know, the couple out at Lover's Lane. It's really on the nose. <laughs> As they call it. And you're like, then it shifts back to him writing. And at first, I remember watching it again. And even though I knew the episode somewhat well, I was like, wait, was that a real thing? Or was that him just thinking the writing? And then when we see mm. Mulder, you know, on the case, as he calls Scully in his office, like it really did happen. But that doesn't necessarily go to say that everything that occurred actually occurred exactly like it is. You know what I mean? Like there's this... I like the idea that what we're seeing as described through his voiceover might not always be exactly how things unfold because we see that in other places. We see it right. with Scully's actions. We see it with the love scene that doesn't actually happen, but maybe could have happened. Um, and that's kind of the, the playoff that I like about this because that's the other really cool thing, even though it's this amazing, interesting thing about this writer sort of being a conduit slash possibly like a driving force of of these murders doesn't necessarily make him a good writer correct you know what i mean right. and he says it himself they, and they make mention of this anything i'd know anything i'd know it said three times no every, two times every, no I, everything i've had has been a failure i think so, something like that. He, he does until now or something. until shit. now but just because what's happening, it has a connection to him, it still might be bad writing. And I think that's what we see. And I think that's, I don't think he's a good writer. I just think, and I think that's even more interesting if 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 he's actually a bad writer. And I think that's what it sounds like, dude. Like the voiceovers, having a vocabulary like that does not make you a good writer. Correct. It makes it like, it jars you. Like when you, <laughs> when you read Golconda in a, in a, in a paragraph about what a woman's thinking about a man, that's not something that like pushes you into her, you know, her mindset. You're like, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely not a, it's definitely not a way people think. Yeah. I like the idea that this guy is a bad fucking writer, mm, but he awesome. just happens to have this, whatever happens in this case is this interesting connection. So, yeah. You know, that's, you know, it's a good point because I never even considered it that way. Mm. Um, uh, while, while you were talking, it kind of jarred my mind and it made me think of one of the other strengths of the episode, um, which is kind of related to the writing piece is the actual writing, which is, you know, you, you, you typically want to show and not tell. And you could, this episode, we, we talk a lot about, about other TV shows, even other movies on the lost driving or whatever. when we're like, this is so close to being a good movie, but it's not. And there's there's stuff in here that could actually. There's a lot of ideas in here that if you retool them, I think they that you have a better movie here with these couple of fixes. Obviously, it's easy for me to say that where I'm sitting, but that's my job, right? So I I um I think this is an episode that's good, and I really enjoy this episode. 
And I think you're a couple of mistakes away from it really tanking. I, I, I thought about this episode in the opposite of the way I typically think. And I think it has a lot to do with what you're saying. Number one, with the writing. Number two, the writing within the show and then the meta writing of the show. And that's this. What It, it, it would be very easy for a writer or, or the teleplay people to just be like, we need, we need Scully to let the audience know that she's grappling with these thoughts. So here's all the things she's going to say to tell the audience that she's grappling with these thoughts. Mm. That would have been a shit episode. <laughs> so instead, they do the right thing. They show instead of tell. And I fucking think that is a great choice. I think you're always bound to show instead of tell unless you have uh, some sort of dialogue savant in you like Tarantino, although he shows plenty too, but he does long protracted dialogues that actually, I mean, the hateful eight's a three hour dialogue that works, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but with this, her just going to the church, like she's so shaken up. I I want to talk to you about the church. Dude, she's so shaken up. We, she's not like, Oh God, what am I going to do? These crazy thoughts I'm having. Oh, and you know what I love about this is that these are very intimate and personal thoughts that she does not share with Mulder. I love that too. I like the privacy that she she's she's internalizing this. And how do you make that cinematic enough for 44 minutes? She does things. She has certain looks. She has certain ways where she brushes her hair. She has certain head cocks. She goes to the church. And that's brilliant. That's why I think the episode really works because we see the struggle within. She doesn't have to tell us the struggle within. Yeah. That... <clears throat> that scene in the church and that fucking rap that he lays down on her dude in, in her reactions to it. She's so good. You know, right off the bat, it's kind of like predictable exactly how you think anybody would react to that kind of mm-hmm. line of dialogue. Sure. The but sacred then, heart <laughs> as it goes on and as it becomes more and more, you know, really, I mean, really shedding a light on her in a way beyond casual observance in a way beyond, you know, what a, what a creepy dude would just say based off assumption There's something there. And she still, she does some eye rolls and brushes it off. But then you see these, these small things, these kind of yeah. like, you know, like how her lips kind of like, you know, come together and apart. Like she kind of yep, yep. is gathering herself at a couple moments. And it's that, like I said, that earnestness that he delivers when he, and like towards the end of it, when he's like, I see that this make you uncomfortable and I'm sorry, dude, like this, this, just the way that he says it. And she's like, fuck, like, how do you, <clears throat> what do you, what do you say to that? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. You're you, a creeper, dude. but you, he's not asking for anything. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not even being a big thing too, is that there's no, um, he is never the closest is much later when they're sitting on the edge of the bed together, right. but he's never physically creepy. You know, he's never imposing in his body language. He's never, you know, aggressive. He doesn't invade her, her space. No. I mean, the simple fact of keeping your body planed away from somebody. Correct. Subconsciously, you know, consciously, that's not something people think about, but subconsciously, if you don't center your body at somebody that immediately takes a lot of, pressure yes whether yeah, it's whether it's a huge tactic in sales too yep in yeah. sales in you know sex which is sales um yep. in, in like <laughs> posturing for like a fight if you know if somebody's talking shit but they're like looking away from you it is way less of a threat than somebody squaring up to that's you right. and saying the same fucking thing that's right so he's not it's these little things and i you know again between the writing and the actor really delivering that 
as creepy as it is, there's enough that takes it off that because you got to believe that it could have an effect on her. And and those, like those little things, I think, go a long way towards towards doing it to just to to putting a little bug in her head of like, what the fuck? What the creep? What a weird like, what the fuck? What was that guy saying? But but huh? Yes. And and can I riff on that? Mm-hmm. What you, can I riff over your track? Because that's really good. Yeah. The other thing is this. He is 100% and utterly sold on telling this story. You never, you get, you, he's, and this is again, the actor. When he's talking about this painting, he is really thinking about the painting in that moment and really talking about it. He's not, he's not, he's not singing for the girls. If you catch my meaning. <laughs> Yeah. He's not singing for the girls. He's not doing the, you know, isn't that interesting? And, and and not like he he does not ever want her approval. He never moves towards her outside of when he walks up near her. He his eyes are all over the painting and not on her. And it is a, a weird thing to do to just sort of rattle this off. And his unshakable confidence regarding the thing that he just keeps going on goes from what the fuck to he's still talking to, wow, he really believes this? Like, huh, that's intriguing. Like the whole thing, because he just, he keeps going. He he doesn't falter. He has this weird kind of quiet confidence about him as it regards to the situation. And that's that's why it seems to, that's why he seems to be able to hold it there. You yeah. know, it's it's wild. Yeah. And of course, as you said, her reacting to it is 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 help helps, you know, you yeah. could shoot this in a way where he's doing it and performing very well. And you could just say, you know, fuck with him, Jillian Anderson. It would be a hilarious scene versus like this, you know, it would be, <laughs> but she can't help but be intrigued. So we haven't talked much about Mulder <clears throat> and it's not much of a Mulder episode, but it's interesting that she goes, you know, when she goes back and interacts with Mulder again, when they go to the corner, she comes right out with it that like, Hey, yeah. yep. never mind the pen. It's not a thing. And she kind of spills the beans. Like, yeah, I sure. got a weird secret admirer. Basically she just fucking says it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you think about? I want to Mul- talk about her saying it actually. I, I want to hear what you think about her saying it and, and Mulder's reaction and kind of Mulder overall in this episode. Um, Mulder feels a little off, little but, you know, a little, a little weird, a little protective. Yeah. It, it's, it's, he feels weird to me, but, but not out of character. But, um, b- before I go to Mulder, I find it interesting that she came in and just kind of said it. And I think this is the, this might be her going, I should probably mention this. And even though I'm going to say it's a lovelorn Romeo, maybe there's part of her intellect protecting her from the possibility that isn't this kind of weird that I'm getting stalked by some random guy while people are being killed. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? I think there's a, I think there's an instinct that's trying to surface there and she's, not quite picking up on it, but that's why she just sort of haphazardly blurts it out. Like you said, she just kind of spills the beans. Like, oh, I should just say this in this moment. But as for Mulder, he just seems like, oh, okay. Maybe it's communication from the killer. Yeah. I mean, he just sort of says it, but she seems to be saying no. But there's a reason you told him. Maybe just maybe just to clear the air on the, on the pendant, he might've asked about it. Mm. Maybe there's some sort of weird guilt wrapped up in the way she's feeling. Not because she feels she's betraying Mulder, but maybe just because she's guilty about being intrigued by this man. I guess. And she's just blurting it out like, uh, uh, maybe, you know, maybe she's hoping to talk. I don't know. I don't know. But but up until this point, I thought it was cool that she was kind of keeping that part of it to herself. Yeah. All right. But then the reaction from this, 
Mulder's reaction, yes. Mulder's reaction, which is um, a breach of a of a you know <laughs> fundamental <laughs> civil right. Um, yeah. As Mulder yeah. invades this guy's mail with no warrant, is he our killer? <laughs> um, so I guess Mulder's reaction. Do you think it's is how much is professional? How much is personal? Is he like, huh? Maybe Scully's instincts are wrong, and maybe this guy really is the killer. And how much of it is like a weird, um, you know? I don't know if you want to call it jealousy or whatever about this guy who lives next to him that has a deep interest in Scully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think if somebody says that they have a secret admirer in your grownups and they're doing weird things like this, and I know it's my neighbor, I go into information gathering mode. Mm-hmm. I would, I would do the same thing. Uh, yeah, I would too. I, I, you know, that may not be ethical or even moral, but I'm not. I don't care. To be perfectly <laughs> frank. Because if somebody's doing weird things, and I would just be like, man, I don't know. Yeah, especially, I mean, I would think it as myself, but being an FBI agent that has been a former criminal profiler, you are more aware than anyone that the world is full of fucking monsters. And yeah, obviously, and also, why are you staring at me on the elevator, you fruitcake? <laughs> Nobody is more aware of monsters than Fox Mulder, literal <laughs> and metaphorical. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, and I, I'm not saying. When I say he's a possessiveness or jealousy, those are, are negative terms in general, but I don't necessarily mean them in a negative way. Pos- possessive, sure. I Pro- mean. Protective, I guess, is more, but I think it's protective in a way that, in a very reasonable way, like this fucking mm-hmm. weird writer dude that lives next to me is sending a goddamn pendant charm to, to my office that he knows is going to get to my partner. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, weird behavior. It's weird behavior. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Plus, I'm in law enforcement. I deal with fucking weirdo. Not me, Dean, but I'm just saying, if I'm thinking as Mulder, if I'm in law enforcement, I deal with fucking weirdos. My neighbor's a weirdo. He, he, he's behaving strangely, and now he's sending things. I mean, that's just odd behavior. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flex a little bit my, my, myself and just try to get some info. Yeah. You know, I don't, whatever. It is what it is. It's my business. You know, it's, it's, it's my decision to look into this guy is my decision to look into this guy. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. You know, now if I start saying, this is how you have to act around this guy, Scully, then that's a different topic. But independent of Scully, my interest in this gentleman, when I find out this is his behavior, be it with Scully or anyone else is between me and it's my business to deal with this guy the way I'm going to deal with this guy. Sure. You know what I mean? We're two different, we're two individual free people in the fucking world, you know? Yep. I guess that's the best way I can think about it. Now, if I start, and to to use the word possessive, I don't know if that applies, unless I start trying to talk to Scully and and control Scully in a way that maybe she shouldn't be. Obviously, you don't control other people. You shouldn't be doing that. Let people fucking be. Um, But this this is just kind of, you know, a weird, a weird type of, just a weird invasion. That's all. It's a weird, it's a creepy move. Yeah. He's being a creep. Well, and he behaves creepily. He does behave creepily. It's not like there's flowers on her desk and he's like, oh, I, you know, maybe we can go for coffee sometime. I wouldn't go into his mailbox for that, but your random behavior has me concerned. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Plus you're a writer. Yeah. I mean, that's an immediate creep peg. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're prone to like outrageous romantic gestures, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh fuck so anyway. before before Mulder violates anymore Bill of Rights um, he's definitely breaking the law <laughs> the, <laughs> I think this episode tr- 
truly, really hinges on this sequence right in the middle of the episode. It's and it's long. It's like yeah, twenty minutes. Twenty like, minutes in. Yeah, six, seven, eight minutes. This whole thing from Scully walking past the apartment door to Mulder, walking past Patch's door to Mulder's door, and then going in. From then until Mulder barges in with his gun drawn. This <laughs> that whole interaction is so important for this episode to work mm-hmm. because this is crazy. Scully goes in. For, the she walks past the door and then she mm. looks back and like we hear typing typing like it shows that like if you if you have subtitles on it's like typing she <laughs> felt wild feral guilty as a criminal mm, boy <laughs> the voiceover along with this this is right after we got the 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 sex scene that didn't actually happen um yeah i almost busted out my magic wand mm, and not bad um, Wait, what part am I reading for? The part where I get to <laughs> crawl all over uh, Jillian Anderson and unbutton her shirt and make out with her? Okay. Sure. I can handle I that. I can free some things up. He's bound <laughs> down can wait. <laughs> uh, landscape she by necessity. Oh, God, <laughs> shut it. Shut up, Anderson. Shut it. But um, th- th- her going in in this... Not even going in at first. That's what I like is the, yes. the knock at the door and how fucking long they spend in the doorway and like her looking around being like, you don't have any furniture. Yeah. He's like, I have what I need. I have a desk to write at and a bed to sleep at. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, it's so weird and creepy. But again, that earnestness. Right. It's it's not delivered like a, that's all I need, you know, yeah. bed to sleep on. Just oh, right behind. I, I did. I love the pretense of I'm going to return the charm. Come on, that is the. <laughs> I, I love. B- I love b- that. B- That's, bullshit. That is such weak sauce. Mm. You know when you do when you want somebody out of your hair that gives you shit, you throw it right in the trash. Yeah. If you go back and you go face to face. You got some unresolved shit you're working on. You're looking, yeah, like a little bit, maybe something more. Yeah. You got to figure something out. Maybe you don't know. Maybe maybe it's not a plan. And I don't think there is a plan in Scully's head here. I just think that there is, there's definitely something lingering. You'd rather. nagging at the back of her head (laughs) about this guy. You'd rather, you'd rather your lady friend hate you than be completely indifferent to you. Yep. So overall, I love this exchange, Um, you know, and that the having coffee thing and, Every moment that goes on, you're like, she's going to bug out. She's going to bug out, mm-hmm. you know, and it keeps going one step further. Yeah. And then like, you know, stay and sit. You don't have anywhere to sit. And then they go into the bedroom. You're like, fuck the bedroom. You're going to go sit on this guy's bed. Are you fucking mm-hmm. kidding me? But I'm kind of, again, I'm kind of sold on this guy. The part. Yeah, exactly. The only part that is, I really kind of pull back and go like, boy, is when he really spills the beans about, about what he knows. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I mean, I would dare say a bridge too far for almost anyone, especially an FBI agent, especially yeah. Dana Scully. He just seems so non-threatening leading up to that with the coffee and the, uh, have it playing in the background, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and I like how, and again, it kind of harkens back to how we, you know, talked about the, the writing being, you know, really kind of like on, you know, it's right there in front of you is that a lot of times when you think something, the dialogue backs you up on it. You know, So you're thinking something, and he's like, <laughs> why are you worried? You're armed, aren't you? Sure. You know, it's like, because you're thinking like, what the fuck are you doing here? And then, you know, he says something, what are you worried about? You're armed, aren't you? And you're like, all right, she is armed. He doesn't right. appear that threatening. She's uncomfortable. But, mm-hmm. but when they sit on the edge of the bed, before Mulder busts in, 
Come on, Mulder. Dude, they're close. Oh, there that's a close sit. That's a close sit. And then then we get the body. We talked about that body plane and he turns towards her. Mm-hmm. Shoulder squared to her, and she That means he wants to fight, I think you said. Yeah. <laughs> fight fight or fuck him. You're doing he just it. he just rips a jab at her. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> this episode took a turn. <laughs> you're fighting or you're fucking. And uh you know what? Actually, I'm watching right now. Never really completely turns at her. But no, because he, he's not he's head not on scare her. Head on a swivel. And, hey Mulder, what are you doing? Oh boy. Coming in hot. So, you know what? You want to go through this creep's mail? Sure. You want to run into his room with a gun out and point it at him? Now you're being a maniac. Mm. Maniac cop. Maniac cop. <laughs> I like that. Now, I like how she just says, yes, you <laughs> fuckwit. And he starts going through this guy's novel like, hey, dude. Yeah. Because he, he, I think we saw like one cut back to him. He gets onto it from the, uh, the personals. He keys in that one of the uh, the personals in a newspaper he found was related to one of the victims and mm-hmm. puts a couple pieces together. There, a little bit of a stretch. Ah, yeah, he's got on pants, man. But then, all right, you're talking about warm beating heart. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's a little bit more than a coincidence, you would think. Yeah, that the, the idea would be. Wait, have you penned this since the killings? Right. So that's what they meet, need to determine. Hey, hey, Fox Mulder, I don't need a lawyer. Fox Mulder really, really treading all over the Bill of Rights in this episode. Just fucking <laughs> Miranda rights, First Amendment, Fourth Amendment. Also, fuck, who fuck says without his lawyer? Fucking Scully. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, kind of uh, interesting how little she says in front of him. Right, right. And again, I think... Just she doesn't want to believe it. I'm not saying she's in love with him, but she's intrigued with him enough to be... She, she's clearly still affected by him. Yeah. Although we I, actually see her mouth closed for a change. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about it is, uh, again, we talked about it with Scully, but when he's talking to Mulder, when, everything he says is, I've, I've said this word 50 times already, but he's 100% earnest. He, he's, exactly. He just puts it right forward. He tells Mulder exactly what he truly believes. And again, that delivery, if you take that on, on writing, some of the shit he says about, you know, who, who knows, like, you know, they say the writer, or like the characters decide for the writer, you could give that and give different direction and cast a different guy and make it like a real sarcastic kind of like, you know, completely different kind of exchange. And it has to come yeah. from a guy like this who, when he says the Mulder, it's like he's not being sarcastic. He's not being combative. Uh, you know, he's this fucking weird guy who like, this he, uh, he, is, you actually yeah. talk like this. You actually believe this shit. You actually just, this is how you interact with people in the real world. I, I love how he hits him with that Spock logic at one point. <laughs> Mulder's like this, then this is your confession. No, that's my novel. And then Mulder says, it's all in there. Every, every murder all laid out. How'd you do it? He goes, if I sit long enough, it just comes to me referring to the novel. <laughs> yes. Dude, I was like, yes, you got fucking flipped, dude. He flipped you. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about. It's not like he doesn't say that like in a, I don't he's not think being he's sarcastic. To, he's yeah, being Spock. Yeah, it's I know. funny as fuck <laughs> if he was trying to be, but he's not. Yep. He's just like, I'm answering your question about how I write a book. You know what he's doing? He's doing the fucking Dick Cheney. I don't accept your premise. So, so like everything he responds, everything he responds to is, is regarding the novel, not the murder. Cause he's like, is this guy your accomplice? He's like, yep. He's a central character. <laughs> what a prick. 
I love it. Respect, respect, man. Phil Paget, Dick Cheney. Nice. Fucking. <laughs> Didn't think we'd make that connection. Yeah, well, we're drawing the connections today. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> you know, and there's another cool thing here is that so this exchange that Mulder and Scully have after this little grilling because you're oh, kind of right. You're thinking it in your head, and then Mulder says it. He's like, "What do you? You're going to argue my usual line of reasoning." Right. Like he just says it in character when you're like, wait, Scully's the one that's voicing the, you know, credibility of him possibly like, you know, being some kind of conduit. I mean, she doesn't put in those terms, but like she puts it out there. Like maybe he just does have a way to somehow know these things are happening. We have no evidence. <laughs> a priori, a priori. <laughs> Get going, Chris Carter. Get going. <laughs> we got. <laughs> We got pathos. We got a priori. I'm surprised they didn't drop any post priori on us. A fucking Emmanuel Kant's in the house, kid. <laughs> fucking goofy. Oh, I love it. Yeah, this is just a priori right is just a dumb word because all it means is like, if I'm not mistaken, it's just the intuititeness of something without the actual facts. It's more of a theoretical than than the material. That's all. That's all it is. I don't. Why do you? Who, nobody talks like that though. No, but it's fine. It's no. it's a Chris Carter, right? Yeah, it's it's writer stuff. It's writer stuff. Nobody nobody talks like writers, like writer writers, write people talking. Right. Unless they're good writers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it kind of, uh, I mean, it's perfect. When when we get back to the the statement that he passes in, right? From the- Yes. From the- um, Is that in the next scene? Or no, no, we got yeah. cemetery. Well, the cemetery is the voiceover of, of oh, Scully right. reading this- statement slash confession that he gives yeah that's right how could she know his pain would end that one and it's fucking outrageous right that love unlike matter or energy was an endless supply in the universe let me continue <laughs> a germ which grows from nothingness which cannot be eradicated even from the darkest of hearts if she had known this and who could say she would believe it she would not have chanced to remain come on at this sad grave until such an hour in such a place in such a place that she might not have to learn the second truth before the first that that's a now semicolon or just colon that to have love was to carry a vessel that would be lost or stolen or worse spill the blood red on the ground and that love was not immutable and could become hate as day becomes night as life becomes death Hey, by the way, they're talking Ooh. about Kevin and Maggie, mm. the couple mm -hmm. in the woods. Yeah, that's there. Be, you go again, Kevin, with the tongue and all. That's going to be. He gets the panties off. He, he goes in a little soon. He blows <laughs> in two. That's that's what you just wrote. But this he is really, this is what I'm saying. He's a bad writer. He's, yeah, he's an no. over the top. You know, this is this is middle school writing. Right. Well, with a, th with, this, a th with a thesaurus next to you. No, this is this is like a sophomore who who got into like honors English 11 Oof. because they have a good vocabulary and then they just jack their thesaurus all over the page. Definitely. Yeah. We should have had Matt Anderson in on this one. This yeah. Like, he could have really set us right on the really writing. up his alley. Jeez. But the fact I love that how it's written, like, cause I yeah, think it's hilarious. I, it's hilarious, but it's, it's perfect. Like it, it's outrageous. It fits it. It's, it's how he is. He's being consistent in how he's, viewing and talking about this and writing about it and whether he's causing it or he's the feedback loop or whatever it is 
Um, this is how <laughs> this is how he does it. <laughs> so the the masterpiece element is not in the end state. It's not in that that actual product of writing. The masterpiece is just whatever kind of connection is actually happening in the real world, whatever, Indeed. whatever the X file in question is here. Yeah. Um, Mulder, the Mulder thing of him actually finding the body. Yeah. Is weird. It's weird. It's weird that he tackles the hooded guy who he's never seen before. They, they never had a description of like a hooded figure. He just fucking he, he, spear tackles and puts dude. the gun in a face. Once again, police brutality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It tackles a kid by the way. Yeah. But you know, what's funny. This it's almost like it's almost like they wanted to show us that Jungian ideal of the intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. They just spent all this time shooting words all over our face, just ripping, ripping frozen ropes of words all over us, and then they're like, "We should probably actually show them," <laughs> you know, like this weird intuitive thing, this a priori, as it were, of this body, like it must. I, I believe this. And he goes and what does he do? He uncovers this dead girl mm. in this bed of flowers. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's weird, man. Yeah. And they're talking on the chat. We we didn't mention the fact that <clears throat> they were they were going bananas in the chat today. I couldn't keep up. It it's a lot. But I appreciate them doing it. I love it. I love it. But they they were mentioning because we kind of skipped over that Paget pays um pays a comment to the fact of Scully already being in love. You know, oh yeah, like, I and there's that moment writing. Right. She couldn't fall in love because she's already in love. Ah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where she grabs his arm and he makes note of it visually. Yes. Yep. That right. happened earlier. Right. What do you think about that? Um, him noticing or him commenting on it or, or being a thing or what? About, sorry, I should be more specific about, uh, about, uh, Paget's theory. Um, I like it. I think it's. I mean, I mean um, pretend this is where you're at in the series so far. You don't know the whole thing. You don't know about fucking shitty William. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, as much as some people say, and, and again, this also came up in the chat earlier that this this episode, a lot of it was in a way could be viewed as Chris Carter's reaction to fan fiction, which which had gone pretty berserk by this point, season six. Like, there you go. Fan fiction was a real real fucking thing. Um, however turn it the other way i think that that whole line was really a not unfairly i make a little hate from this from some of our most beloved listeners but was kind of fan service to shippers yeah i get that because i don't really think there was any need for him i don't really think it's necessary in the episode i don't think it adds anything to their dynamic i don't think it was necessary to bring that element of molder like I, i i don't know uh, sometimes I think this gets back to how much do we trust our narrator, right? Yeah. Do we do we trust his opinion enough? Uh, I I almost took it as in, with because I don't have the meta knowledge. I just kind of took it as well. This guy is seeing this, but this guy's kind of prone to flights of fancy, and maybe he's just reading into something. And but that's me. I'm not. You know, I wasn't. I didn't have all the info. I don't. You know what I mean? So my. I mean, I have it now, but I'm looking back on it, going. I mean, maybe this is just a thing that they wanted to make people think about a little bit, even though they probably already are. But to your point, was it necessary? You know? Yeah. Does I, it does it change the actual plot of this episode if he leaves it out? I don't think it does. I mean, um, the, we should probably talk about that. There's probably a good time to spin us into his meeting with, um, the hell is his name? 
Dr. Nacimiento. Nacimiento. What is it? Nacimiento. Yeah, that's it. That one. Because that leads to our main guy. I mean, the end is Paget laying there with his. Yeah, Ken's better. Yeah. <laughs> Ken's easier. Laying there with his heart out, right? Yep. Is that what does that mean? I don't know. Yeah, the whole. I guess at the end. I mean, it's very on the nose. Unrequited love is basically right. What he he ch- chalks himself up as a sacrifice. Sure. Do you want to listen to a little bit of that dialogue from Ken? Do we want to hear that silky smooth voice? Send it. I like it. We 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 kind of do, right? Mm-hmm. You seem surprised to see me. <sighs> yes, completely. That sexy voice. I'm your character. What do you want? I'm here to help you finish. I, I can't figure out your motive. You imagine me so perfectly in every way. So perfectly that you bring me to life. Why did you choose me? This guy rules. I needed a perfect <laughs> crime. And she's a doctor. She'd be horrified by what you do. I'm horrified. <laughs> I just want to know why I do it. So I could meet her. This that's not a reason. That's not a reason. Hit me. It's an excuse. It's an excuse. Booyah! Oh. Guy fucking rules. <laughs> that's great. And and how fucking <clears throat> interesting is it the thought of a fictional character? having a conversation with his creator Dude. about why they, I mean, is this not the whole first season of Westworld? <laughs> yep. Right. Like <laughs> yep. in one conversation, basically like the most interesting part about Westworld. That's a great, con- that's a great point. Summed up into this, this interaction. Like, why do I do this? Like, what is my motivation? What is, what is the reason? Um, and <laughs> like, no, that's not a reason. That's an excuse. Great fucking point. I like it, man. Yeah. Yep. It's cool. That's a great point. It's, I like, I just, that's, that premise is just interesting to me. The willing something into existence that yeah. you then lose control of, but it also, him not knowing and not really understanding kind of goes back to some of the meta, which is, which is like what we were talking about when we were discussing the, the idea of what style of writer are you? What, you know, are you, he's not sure what the character speaking to him, so to speak. Maybe the character is informing the writer and you're finding something you didn't quite think you would find in the writing. That's wild. Yeah. And then when you put an X-Files bend on it, it gets really wild when it's talking to you and threatening you and, and ultimately leading to your demise. Man, there's a good White Wolf game in here, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. For sure. This guy, man, Ken, man, that, he, you just feel it. Yeah. Like, you feel that presence. He's good. And I would say, and it doesn't take away from the episode for me in any great way, but the the physical interaction at the end is not the strongest part of it. I think the metaphor of what's happening obviously is more important. Well, oh, the that, showdown with a pistol. Yeah, th- th- I mean, we need the writers need like an actual kind of yeah yeah. We need a climax. Um, and it's and it's it's not bad. It's cool like to see this guy going after Scully and and her you know getting the gun out and getting a couple shots and having no effect as <laughs> as Mulder's in the basement. And having this other interaction with with Paget, um, and the whole idea that you know basically Scully has no power beyond whatever this character is doing through Paget's mind, and then ultimately what we see is you know the sacrifice that he made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For for the love that he couldn't, you know, as it ends, 
the final act of destruction gives it a chance to give what he could not receive. Whatever, sure. Right. Sure. Unrequited love. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, I think that's a fair criticism. It, it's different than this isn't a, you know, final showdown with, with, with the tombs or a Donnie faster. There's, there's not that, there's not that level of like payoff in the sense sure. of, of the actual sure. final confrontation. Um, but the metaphor is cool. And I think it's a, it's a, as fitting an end for a pageant as I think you could probably come up with. Yeah. Two things I like about the actual ending is the shots going through him and hitting the wall mm. looked cool. It was a cool effect hitting like up at the corner of the, where the wall meets the ceiling. That yeah. was neat. I like that just from a technical standpoint. And then number two, there was something really touching about the way um, Scully really paws at, at Mulder when, when she wakes and it's him over her. There's a lot of emotion being wrapped up in probably all these weird guilty feelings she had regarding everything she just experienced and you feel that coming out of her, not just like you saved me. I think that's, I mean, we're in season six. This was, a, this one felt different though. Yeah. They, they, they make a very clean point to show her literally really clutching at him. You know yeah. what I mean? There's some, there's something there and that Break. you could have done, you could have done that without him saying, oh, she's already in love. And, and you would have had people going, wow, there's a lot of emotion there. Yeah. Let me interpret that how I will. Again, showing versus telling, right? The showing works better than the telling in this case. Yep. So um, before we get into final thoughts, Dean, I want to do two things. One, <clears throat> which I, I should have done at the beginning of the episode, but I want to I want to read a comment from uh, the woman of the hour, Kamalita. Uh-huh. And you know what? We didn't. We kind of went in cold on this. If um, <clears throat> in the event that this is somebody's first time listening, they're gonna know. Well, we well, I guess we, we you don't really we didn't really give a preamble. We might want to explain why <laughs> yeah. we're doing this, where we're doing this. Yeah, hour ten in. This is why you're hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> we wrapped up our season two X quiz, and um, Carmelita was one of the prize winners and got a bounty pick. So she got to pick any episode of her choosing outside of the way that we obviously usually cover it, which is an episode at a time, season by season. So she grabbed a few seasons ahead before, as we're starting off season three, reached out to season six to pull in Malagro. Mm-hmm. And this is what she had to say about it. Um, what can I say about Malagro? It is a weird and wonderful episode of the X-Files. I couldn't resist making my special bounty pick. And here's why. Scully gets to break out of her usual role as a consummate professional and indulge a little. I live for it. Philip Paget is one of my all-time favorite one-off characters. You know me well enough <laughs> by now to see that one coming. <laughs> Beating hearts ripped out of chest. So much fuel for shippers. We kind of just talked on that one. Thank you again and Merry Christmas. So, no, thank you, Carmelita. Um, and I also want to, I guess I'm kind of chumming the water here, but I want to throw this at, at you as we get to the end. And I think especially that what you're talking about, but as Scully really, really breaks when, when Mulder um, gets up to her and she, she comes back to uh, Elise Ray Helford in her book, fantasy girls, gender in the new universe of science fiction and fantasy television accused the show of reinforcing the stereotype of independent women as lonely, neurotic and nostalgic for sexual attention for men. Um, Hmm. argues that the episode reduces Scully to a victim waiting to find out what, which handsome man will rescue her. Do you, Interesting. what do you think about that? And, and, and to our chat who predominantly female, um, what do you guys think about that? Do you, do you think, 
that that is the case here. Again, we've we've talked a lot about how a lot of this episode hinges on us, the audience believing that Scully could have an attraction to this Paget character. Um, is is that a is this a fair criticism? Can you do me a favor? Can you ask the question again? <clears throat> and I want to really think about it. Yeah, let me just let me just use this one line. Hanlon argues that the episode reduces Scully to a victim waiting to find out which handsome man will rescue her. Um, essentially, is is that the case in this episode? So her premise is. This episode reduces Scully to a what now? Uh, Helpless character? uh, Yes. uh, Reduces uh, to a victim waiting to find out which handsome man will rescue her. The reason I'm being very tough on this is because when I go into these debates, I get very lawyerly. (laughs) Lawyer up, baby. I'm lawyering the fuck up. Reduces Scully to a victim. Mm. She also accused the show of reinforcing the stereotype of independent women as lonely, neurotic, and nostalgic okay. for sexual attention. I think from I think I'm ready. Okay, I um, think that's. I think this is utter bullshit. Mm. Here's why: because what we are doing here is we're forgetting about the how many episodes are there per season? Uh, twenty four ish. Okay, so here is my counterpoint to this. I don't know what she me- means by reduces Scully to a victim. I would have to talk to her about what she means by that. But I think at any point in anyone's life, we are all, we've all been victims before. And I don't think it's a bad thing to have vulnerability at any given time. What, what your argument, the argument is for this moment in time, but you can't just take this moment in time and apply a broad stroke brush to the entire character because of one episode in the sixth season, what middle of the sixth, end of the sixth season, you got six seasons ahead before this episode of of Scully behaving many different ways. She's a multifaceted and varied woman. You know, she isn't dingus. She's not a stereotypical woman that you write about in your fantasy worlds. That's always a certain way. That's not how women are either. Women are multifaceted creatures, just like men are multifaceted creatures. And I think it's this really, it's really hacky to say she's being reduced to this thing. Well, what about ha- what happens in the seventh episode? And then the eighth, or, or the, wait, is, is this episode 18? 18. What happens, yeah. what happens in episode 19, 20, 21, 22? What happens in the seventh season, the eighth season, the ninth season? What happened in the, all those seasons before it? I don't like when we do this. I don't like when we criticize what is a infinitesimal percentage of a character's life and say that she is being reduced to something according to this person's standard because she had a moment of vulnerability in a tiny sliver of percentage in her entire life. I think that's really shitty. I think that's a shitty way to say it. Um, I think it sucks. I think it sucks to say reinforcing a stereotype. What are you talking about? It sounds like you don't trust women enough to know that sometimes people have moments of vulnerability in the in the in the multitude of their very varied and interesting and long spanning god willing lives. So it sounds like you lady are the sexist one because it sounds like to me you are the one who is thinking for everybody else when you shouldn't be doing that. Stop thinking collectively and start thinking as an individual. Is Scully a helpless victim? No, she isn't. Regardless of what happens in this episode, it's just a moment in time with this character. So come on. She was vulnerable for a few minutes, for a day, for however long this investigation was. 
and and we're showing her being a multifaceted and varied woman and not a stereotypical fantasy goddess like you seem to think she should be. That's not how people are. People are multifaceted, multidimensional. And I think that, I hate when people do this. I hate when people think for people. It's so aggravating. Yeah. All right, I'm done. I like it, man. I like what you had to say there. I dig it. I um, yeah. yeah, I obviously, <laughs> I was I was throwing that one out there because- Spoiler alert! I had a had a particular point of view on that as well. It's which, so annoying. It's really God, annoying. I hate it. And it's it's just a it's a typical fucking white knight thing to to look at. You know, pick out a amazing female character. I mean, whatever. Pick out any character and find a moment that fits your agenda mm-hmm. that you want to you know use to display someone you know portraying the agenda that's not on your side or whatever. Like sure. I mean, we dude, we just we were just talking about the opening of season one, in which Mulder doesn't do shit but sit in a coma, and Scully does everything. Like you know, so is is that only Dana Scully, right? Or can she have other facets? Can she be a three dimensional character? Can she be Correct. a person that at yeah, of course. And and again, to say like it reduces her to a victim, I get. What the I, fuck is a victim? Does that mean somebody perpetuated a crime against you? <laughs> I what, mean, what the fuck does that mean, dude? I think the, some people are victims sometimes in their lives. Yeah, the, the, I got I, I, my website got hacked. I was a victim <laughs> in that moment, but then I fucking figured it out, and now I've turned the tables on that. And I'm and I'm not making this about me, but but in in a small example, I was victimized in that moment, and then I figured it out, made it better, and now it's better than it's ever been. So I turn that into a fucking big victory for me. And you can say I was a victim in a moment, but anyone is a victim in any moment at any time. Yeah. But to say it perpetuates anything about a stereotype, stop thinking collectively. Think about the person. Stop. Stop thinking in black and white and this and that. Just think about the fucking one person and judge the one person. It drives me fucking crazy. And again, you can't say this because you're a white male, you, me. When the idea of like a either. strong female character is supposed to be like they have no fucking flaws and they're never they never show weakness and they're never it's like so stupid. Some of my favorite like you know I mean there's great ones throughout time but like recent ones, dude Emily Blunt and Sicario I fucking she's great she is so good and that scene that she has with what's his fucking nuts from Walking Dead ah uh, man Ch- uh, Barenthal yeah. So fucking good. And her dude. reaction after the fact, like how mad she is at herself for being in that situation. It's so fucking believable and it's mm-hmm. she's so good. So what are you gonna look at look at it and be like, oh, this isn't a good, not a strong fucking female character? You, you, you know who you know who's like that too, dude? Buffy. Yeah. Buffy gets hung up on her high school boyfriend because that's what girls do, and then they grow up and they get stronger and they fucking get over it. So fucking anybody does. Exactly. They get hung up on people and you make, or, or you, you, you put yourself in a situation where you, you're, you are more vulnerable to a person or a situation or a feeling or fucking whatever. Yeah. And dude, if you don't do that, you're writing a bullshit character. You're writing a fucking Mary Sue. You're writing Correct. something that doesn't impact anyone that, mm-hmm. that a real human can't fucking relate to. Right. And, and Dana Scully, you know, at times she is, I mean, she's so amazing. She's so fucking smart and so independent that it's especially important to every once in a while. That's why, like, some of my favorite scenes are where we see Scully struggle with right on with weakness or tackle something that she usually where she's not the consummate professional. Where you know, beyond the sea, where she she's dealing with something that's not in her comfort zone that she can't deal with her 
her professionalism and her rationalism and all her background, you know, and, and that's, and ultimately the getting put in these situation of weakness, her coming through it. A lot of times is that is actually what defines a strong character. For I sure. get that. You can look at it. You can take a screenshot of fucking Scully crying in Mulder's arms and be like, here we go. Right. Mm-hmm. Fine. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like it's, it's not a good look, I guess. If, if yeah, you're listen, coming at it with an agenda. Sure. But there, hey, there is the reality. Mulder cries there, a bunch too. Mulder's right, fucking sure. weepy bitch. There's the, there's the reality. There, there is the reality of, of writing stereotypical characters. But if you have good, it, you, you figure it out. You realize that people aren't like that. Stop, okay. stop basing your morality around Hollywood's depiction of anything. Stop doing that. Yeah. Because, because it's going to change with the shifting winds. You know, what's, what's cool today is not going to be cool in 10 years, man. It, you, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, don't set your moral structure within the confines of what television tells us through entertainment. Take things, you know, I, I take, take what you want, use what you want, use what you need and, and fucking live your life. That's all I can say. You yeah. know, that, that's the best I can say. Like I uh, take the good parts. That's all you got to do. Like I, I remember watching next gen and being a wayward kid in Florida and in my mom being a single mom and my dad being 1300 miles away and being like, this Captain Picard character is really like interesting. This idea of living with principle, like what's that about? Like a fake guy got me to think that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's cute. That's cool, man. Like, and then you get a little older and you realize the reality and the, you realize the, 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 uh, the, the ideal that they were going for there. And you realize, you know, well, maybe don't hold yourself up to that standard, but there's a lot to learn there. You know what I mean? You, you grow the fuck up and you figure it out. But I, but I hate collectivist thinking. It, it, it drives me fucking crazy and and we're so prone to it you know what i mean it's it just drives me nuts i i just go on the individual forget about the stereotype and the and these girls and those boys and these this color and that color just think about the one person the character right there in that moment what are the, what's going on with that character how can you reduce with your words you're trying to reduce her to something in your mind in your small mind you're reducing her i'm not going to reduce her you can write about how she's being reduced in your mind not in mine. <laughs> right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, think for yourself, you fucking nimrod. Yeah. All right. I'm good. Wow. Got pretty worked up I get up so fired up about that end, huh? shit. I, I, man, I want to fucking burn it down sometimes. <laughs> I knew, it drives I knew, me nuts. I knew nuts. I was doing this. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, though. I, I knew it was going to happen. I love you. You got to get me to flex once in a while. Yeah. Man, <laughs> it gets me going. <laughs> well, um, I'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm good. Uh, Calmer than you are. Dude, I'm finishing my coffee. Calmer than you are. <laughs> you want to tow? <laughs> Fucking amateurs. <laughs> well, we are misogynistic, as anyone would know. So. Yeah. Apparently, I fucking hate women, you know, <laughs> raised by a single one. <laughs> Fucking hate her for everything she did for me as a young boy. We both were. How about that? Unfucking believable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I'm just going to say it, man. Milagro, it's a love for me. Um, Damn, I like... God, fuck yeah, son. I'm inspired. (laughs) I'm inspired. Let's love it. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Hey, I'm sober as a fucking cucumber. (laughs) Okay. I'm drunk as a pickle. You know what? What's that lady's name? What's her name? <laughs> you know, do you want her mailing address? No, I just want her name. Uh, Elise Ray Helford. Hey, Elise. Wait, I'm sorry. Um, Elise is such a good name. Yeah. Is Helford or Handlin? 
Doesn't matter. Is her first name Elise? Yeah. Hey, Elise. Ah, strong love. <laughs> strong love. Yeah, strong love. Remember all that stuff I said about trying to have a moral and ethical framework and, and trying to elevate yourself? Ah, strong love out of spite, though. <laughs> That's how I operate. That's me. We should have we should have done this on Christmas Eve and encouraged everybody to take this discussion to your Christmas dinner table with your family. Sound it off and see how it goes. Fucking believable. I gotta go. I'm I'm done. We're out of here. Merry Are we fucking done? Christmas. Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Love it. <laughs> Love it. We're out of here. We'll see you in two weeks. Golconda. You've been listening to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. Visit us on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net. Thank you.